2: Hello, and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name's Richard Porritt. I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello. We are going to get onto the news. Then we're going to talk to former Europe Minister in Tony Blair's government, Dennis McShane. Our editor, Matt Kelly, is going to be interviewing him. And then we're going to crown our Brexiteer of the Week. But first, before we do that,
3: Steve... There's something you can do for us. Please, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a lovely review with lots of stars for us. Uh, on iTunes and do the same if you're following us through Audio Boom or any other podding, catching device that you, uh, that you, that you like.
2: Leaving a review will make a massive difference.
3: It will. It will stop you dressing in the rags that you're in now and, uh, and my children will be able to eat tonight. <laughs> OK, great.
2: Nigel Farage...
3: Oh, What's wow. a second he's referendum? One of, he's one of us.
2: He's <laughs> come out. I just got an email from the Liberal Democrats that says, the headline is, Nigel Farage is talking sense. It's,
3: this is in, incredible news. The, the I've only ever agreed with Nigel Farage twice before. Once when he said that a 52 to 48 uh, referendum result would be unfinished business, which he said yeah. a couple of weeks yeah. before the vote, didn't yeah, he? he did. To Kevin Maguire, I think. Uh, the other time was obviously just after the referendum when he said that, um, what Boris Johnson and Michael Gove had said about £350 million going, um going uh, every week to the NHS was, was untrue and a It's just a shame he didn't mention that during the referendum, but, but never mind. But now he's he's come out with the idea of a, a second referendum, and I think this is great. It, it, it keeps the idea on the table, and he seems very confident that he's going to win it, doesn't he? But I'm, I'm not sure he should be so confident.
2: Well, I think he said on the right stuff, the right stuff, yes, that it would kill off the remainers for a generation. Yes, he did. It's not quite what the polls are suggesting, though, is it? About whether we want to remain in the EU or not.
3: No, I mean, let's let's look. Should we look at the polls? So, yes, the, so the YouGov poll, which which asks people, was it right or wrong to leave, that has had one leave lead in the last sixteen polls. So that shows that the the, the Goalposts have moved. Nat Sen in, in January said that 52% of Britons think the economy will be worse off after Brexit. That's a, that's a big swing. That was 46% last this time last year. In December, surveyed by BMG Research for the Independent, showed 51% to 41% uh-huh. in favour of uh, Remain. And then, um, and then last week I thought it was very interesting. Michael Gove gave a speech, didn't he, at the Oxford Farming Conference, mm. which was it was an acclaimed speech. They they polled at some point. I don't think he could have been in the room because they polled the farmers who were there. It's only two hundred people, but it's quite interesting. seventy one percent of them. Yeah, said that they would now vote to remain. And obviously, the farming sector was something that which backed Brexit despite all the evidence. And then, if you look at the straight stats as well, these are you know these are unfortunate statistics to have to use, but they they do seem to indicate that Nigel Farage's confidence might be a little bit misplaced. Around six hundred thousand pensioners have died since the referendum, mm. and and pensioners, as we know, was the only sector which voted, a majority of which voted to leave. And around eight hundred and fifty thousand teenagers have turned eighteen, so they've come yeah. to the age of majority for voting. And the young voted seventy five percent to remain. So, um, I draw your own conclusions. I think Nigel Farage's confidence is misplaced.
2: Yes, well, I, I, I think I think everything points to the fact that it's misplaced. But is he? Do you think he's just bored and he wants? I mean, <laughs> he just not, wants another campaign. He's not got much to do, has he? And his his profile is waning, perhaps. And he thinks well. I know it would get me back in the spotlight.
3: Yes, I, I, no, I, I, I completely agree, and I, and I think it is designed to raise the profile of, of Nigel Farage, and now Henry Bolton is in trouble. Maybe Nigel Farage fancies a return to... To the front line once
2: again well there is an investigation going on to into henry's suitability after uh, his
3: um dalliance well, with the can, lovely joe marnie we can come on to joe marnie later on yeah um, let's but, talk about uh, that later but um but yeah I'm, I'm sure that i'm sure that is it but as i say it, it keeps the the idea of a second referendum alive the cabinet office theresa may's office have already had to say there isn't going to be a second referendum but the more people keep talking about a second referendum the likelihood of this increasing happens and i you know let, let, you know let's let's be i've seen people on the remain side saying let's not count any chickens yeah. i can't help thinking that one the campaign can't be the a remain campaign can't be run any worse no, no, than it, it was, was last it was than, than it was last time and two it won't be headed up by Two deeply unpopular figures like David Cameron and George Osborne.
2: Yeah, we could get Nick Timothy to help run the campaign. That would be good. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, if he would run the <laughs> if he would run the Leave campaign, I would be absolutely delighted. <laughs> on a serious point, though, if there was to be a second referendum, what would the question be on the ballot paper? Well, that is a hell of a question,
3: yeah. and I already note that Nigel Farage on that uh, on the, the the right stuff. Uh, The Matthew Wright program was saying it must not be a multiple choice question, and I'm not sure that he's actually thought that through. Because (laughs) if there was a multiple choice question and it said, you know, and one of the options was a hard headbanger Brexit, yeah, maybe you know, maybe there would be he would be able to rally enough people to his man-frog cause to, to, to win that over You know, the rest of us who were dallying around about whether it should be completely staying in the EU or whether it should yeah, be yeah. Norway or whether it should be something else. So I'm not sure he's thought that through. If it is a
2: multiple-choice question, I think the results should be presented in the style of Family Fortunes. That would be good, <laughs> That would yeah. be great, wouldn't it? Um, but I, I, I think the point is, do we get... Is the question, do we accept the deal... Either way, well, but have to, be, wouldn't it? Accept the deal that has been put in front of us, or don't accept the deal. If we then don't accept the deal, uh, are, are we asking Theresa May to go back to the EU and say oh, they didn't like it? Can we start again? Well, I, I don't mean, know. Surely
3: we can't run a country in 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 that manner. Well, clearly, the, clearly the, the 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 question that I, that we would like to see pro- is, is probably: Do you accept this deal, or, or shall, or we, shall stay we stay in the, Union? In the European yeah, it, Union? Ha- I think it has. To, I think it has to be that. Yeah. Because otherwise
2: we'd be caught in this impasse where you know, we'd be just sort of hovering around, this sort of purgatory. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. What about the reshuffle? Now I I've written a few pieces since we got on to you know, we got the go ahead for phase two that Teresa some of Theresa May's power was starting to come back and she was seeming to be stable. And the people around her in Number Ten have kind of got their act together a little bit. I mean, I know the bar was low, but there seemed to be a little bit more strength there, just seeping back in. And then reshuffle. You think, yeah, it's a good time to reshuffle. It's a new year. The cabinet did need a, a, a bit of uh, a bit of impetus. And then, well, chaos. Yeah, uh, <laughs> chaos and and ridicule.
3: You know, I think the the Sun called it a shambles, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, They're one of Theresa May's. <laughs> biggest supporters.
2: So Chris Greeling is the new chairman. Oh, hang on. Oh, no. I hang on. <laughs> 27 seconds, I think he had. It was brilliant, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I'd... Um, for for a long time, been, it had been a fairly open secret that Brandon Lewis was going to be the new chairman. Yeah, so it was bizarre, really. wasn't
3: it, when we saw that Chris Grayling was being congratulated? Very
2: strange, and sent me into a flat because I'd already written the words to say Brandon Lewis was uh, going to be the new chairman, just ready to press a button. So yeah, I had to rewrite and then rewrite again when he was uh, announced as, as the chairman.
3: I'm not a great fan of Justine Greening, and uh, and I don't think many people are. But I do feel a bit sorry for her. And I, I think I, when you look at, for example, you know Greg Clark in
2: business, who was going to be shifted, but for but for Hunt refusing to, yes. is sort of widely seen as uh, as struggling in the business department. Um, uh, for him to hang on to that big job and Justine Greening to completely
3: be bounced out of the cabinet seems odd to me. Yeah. Um, also, the way it was—I mean, the way it was done in the—I think it's been fairly clear for a couple of weeks, hasn't it—that Justine Greening was was going to get the shove, and there's been a bit of a drip, 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 which I think Justine Greening pushed back about in yeah, her, yeah. in a couple of hours in in Number Ten, and clearly why she refused to take the uh, the, the the job that she was offered. But we've so we found out that ju- when Justine Greening Talks that you know it annoys Theresa May. Theresa May thinks she goes on too long. Mm. Um, that Theresa May thinks that she's gone a bit native and she was listening to the the, the the teachers' side and the teachers' unions, too much. Yeah, that she doesn't think she's a good performer in the House of Commons, that she doesn't think she was a good performer on television. It's been, you know, Justine Greening's failings have been fairly widely publicized, yeah, uh, by Theresa May. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, and I can't help thinking it's a you know, it, it, this is it's another example of Theresa May just not being very good at this, isn't it? She's because, not
2: very good at this, and I think I, I, actually, I think more than. Just, I mean, that, everything you say there is absolutely correct. But what is more startling about this reshuffle is that the, there was clearly not much preparation done. Mm. Because when she's a very, very weak Prime Minister, she can't just sack anyone she wants. You know, we know that. We've yeah. said it a million times. So why wasn't someone from number 10 sitting down with Jeremy Hunt before Christmas oh, saying, exactly. you know, we're thinking about a reshuffle. What do you reckon? Would you fancy, you fancy a change? Instead of this embarrassing. Turn of events whereby the boss says you're moving, and the underling says
3: no, I'm. F-ing up. No, I'm not. Yeah, she's made another adversary, hasn't she? In in Justine Greening, yeah. like Nicky Morgan. And you know where she's gone to sit? Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's right, right next to Nicky. Yeah, exactly. And you know, for, for I'm sure you know people who are listening to this podcast will have read this already or will have known this already. But Justine Greening has got a very small majority, is a Remainer, mm. has got a very small majority yeah. in one of the most pro-Remain seats in the country. Putney, is it Putney? It is Putney, isn't yeah. it? Um, and, um, and so, therefore, has got not really much else to do over the next four years than to throw, make the case for Remain. Throw, throw Brexit grenades? Yeah. Suela
2: Fernandez. Well, this is an extraordinary appointment again, and the Steve Baker came through exactly yeah. the same route from the European Research yeah. Group. Frankly, a dangerous set of people with regards to what kind of Brexit we might get. Yeah, yeah. And there she is.
3: Um Serena Fernandez is an extraordinary figure to me. Mm. She she comes from an area that I've that I've been living in for for quite a few years, a sort of Harrow, Pinner, uh-huh. Hertfordshire sort of um, area. Um, so, so I've been aware of her work. Have you seen her CV? It's amazing. She went to she went to Cambridge. Yeah. She's a, she's a you know a daughter of immigrants. Yeah, yeah. She went to Cambridge. She went to the Sorbonne. Yeah. She did a master's in law and in French law. Yeah. Um, she she's been a barrister for for about twelve <laughs> years, yet when you see her a- attempting to defend Brexit. It is absolutely remarkable. You, and see, and you can't a, teach common sense. Well, it's it's just amazing. And th- there is a video of her, which is not hard to find, on on uh, you can see it on most social media, of her in April on Question Time, where she says that we won't be paying fifty billion euros to the the EU. She says the figure of fifty billion is manufactured. It doesn't seem likely that there will be a bill for €50 million. Euros. It's part of Project Fear. Health warning, don't believe it. The scaremongering about having to pay to leave is not true. Yeah. And now... It is. Straight in David Davis's department for exiting <laughs> the EU, under Secretary of State. Yeah. It's absolutely
2: incredible. It is an extraordinary appointment, extraordinary appointment. There's lots of lads' outings this week. They are, in Let the me rules. list them to you. Oh. Stephen Wolfe who's a, an independent MEP now, former UKIP, former Trade Minister and ex-CBI Chief Lord Jones of Birmingham, Leave means Leave, uh, Co-Chair John Longworth, and Labour Leave Chairman John Mills, they all went over to meet Michel Barnier. Yeah, and what did they? Well, they took a hamper, which is lovely. Everyone loves a hamper. It's nice, isn't it? Do they do hampers abroad? Is it, is it a I British I don't think thing? they have
3: a hamper abroad, no.
2: So... They stuffed a wicker basket full of things, and they and they decided. I'd to rather pick... they
3: stuffed a wicker man full of Brexiteers. And the... No, that's that's too harsh. <laughs> With Nigel dancing and tapping on the wall. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Mm, not sure. Nigel Farage in a wicker man, <laughs> like Edward Woodward at the end. <laughs> I believe in the life eternal.
2: Um, anyway, um, so that yes, they, they they stuffed their wicker basket full of. Quintessentially British items. Yeah. Um, to try and, and persuade um, the EU that there should be free, open trade and everything should be fine, but we should basically we should be able to have our cake and eat it,
0: yeah.
2: or indeed spread our marmite and eat it. Yeah. Because there were some some strange choices, weren't there, in, in that basket? Marmite. Marmite was in there. Invented by a German, wasn't it? I'm not sure about that. Was it? Yeah. It's a it's a byproduct of uh, brewing beer, isn't it? Yes, it's brewers' yeast, isn't it? And it's mind? owned by. Oh, I don't know. Unilever. Oh, is it? Okay. Who are a. Well, they're Anglo-Dutch, exactly. Aren't they? Yes. So and, there you
3: go, and very opposed to Brexit. And as you hopefully know from reading the New European, um, the Dutch government have just brought in or are about to bring in massive cuts to, uh, It's effectively. Corporation tax in an attempt to bring Anglo-Dutch companies back to to make them a bit less Anglo. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, PG t- Tips as well. PG Tips is also owned by Unilever. No I know yes, that. Yes. Yes. Um, and, um, and and PG D'or- Tips tea made in. I don't know actually. Go on. Skegness, is it? Or no, Sri
2: Lanka. Riz Sri, Sri Lanka. Yes. Yeah. Dorset hundred dram cheddar was yeah. contained
3: in the hamper. Well, they um, don't make cheese in in Europe, do they? So we've taught them a lesson
2: there. Well, absolutely. Would we you get Liz Truss in to speak about cheese. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is protected by the EU regional designation. <laughs> is it brilliant? Yes, it is. Um, the marmalade So jar. when we leave, the French can start producing <laughs> their own cheddar. Exactly. Well, now they've got a taste for it, they're probably already working
3: on it, aren't right. they? And you would have thought that the economy <laughs> of scale in the French cheese <laughs> yes. slightly better a than it is in more the uk
2: cheese. anyway um and the marmalade Good. jar bore an uh, eu organic logo did it so this is a bit made of a with, fail
3: made with oranges from barnsley <laughs> well seville actually <laughs> yes. yeah and um Piccadilly, though that's english isn't it yeah what could be more english than indian spices yeah yeah <laughs> and and the churchill
2: biopic as well they included in there did yeah? they yeah. Oh. Now it annoys me. We're, we are we're going to do something by a very celebrated uh, journalist and writer soon in the New European. So about about how Churchill has been stolen by yes the, um, the Brexiteers and the Leavers, because of course he was the first citizen of Europe uh, quite possibly and was certainly very much behind a united Europe. So these numnuts went over there with their wicker basket and I think were sort of roundly laughed at and sent away.
3: Yes, I, I, I would agree. They, they packed it with stuff that we're not as good as the Europeans at making and stuff that is, yeah, frankly... Although, you know, Marmalade now may, since Paddington, Paddington 2, may, there may be a revival in Marmalade.
2: Do you think so? We're, well, we're pinning our hopes for a post-Brexit utopia on a Hugh Grant film. Yeah, exactly. Great. With- Francis Gove-White, who's the Deputy Director of Open Britain, I think, um, I think nailed this. He said simply, we have reached peak brexit <laughs> and i think that's about right and we asked the listeners didn't we oh we did yeah what they would put in their hamper we did you've got some from facebook there haven't this we? is facebook keith dodgen said some delicious chlorinated chicken sandwiches prime hormone enhanced american beef pie and a nice bottle of sweet carolina rose oh that would have been nice wouldn't it what have you got
3: I've got lots from Twitter here. Uh John Savage, the, the the fine writer, author of England's Dreaming and many other um uh, excellent books about music. Uh he mentioned he thinks it should have been full of sandwich spread, spam and vesta curry, which we <laughs> will have um which we will have. So, Darren Leithley, who's a friend of uh, the this podcast, uh said a smoked kipper, brackets Nigel Farage, close yeah. brackets. Somebody called Skinny Sunshine, Skimmy Sunshine, sorry, uh, said mac and cheese, which is the meal which propped up American families during the Great Depression. And on a similar uh, cheese-related tip, Chris Kendall, uh, who is at Autocrat, said that that powdered Parmesan cheese he used to get in the 1970s in little tubs, which smelled of sick.
2: Yeah. Rob, whenever we ask the listener to to do one of these, they always team obsessed with poo. Yeah, there's a, there were a lot of poo related. <laughs> it's, a straight, it's a strange thing, isn't it? It is. it is actually probably very British, isn't it? Toilet humour. Robert William Jones said male bovine excrement. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, well, I think you'd you need to line that wicker basket. Okay, thanks for all those. Dennis McShane is next, speaking to Matt Kelly.
0: Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One or order online at our website www.theneweuropean.co.uk Stay angry, fight Brexit, subscribe to The New European.
1: Dennis, thank you for joining us. Where are we at with Brexit? What's your your gut instinct on the way things are now and where they're going?
4: I think Brexit is the Ebola virus that is sucking all the life juices out of politics. I mean, I was an MP for 18 years. I stood for Parliament first in 1974. It's my interest. And I've never known such a happy time for politics. They can't do, the MPs can't advance new policies. We've got problems on transport, on business, on housing, on health care, railways. And nobody can come up with any real solutions, because at any given moment, the only story town in town is Brexit. It's the weirdest political moment, I think, probably in the 300 years of British parliamentary history. And...
1: Is it stoppable? I mean, should it be stopped, Brexit? Is it stoppable, or are we now on a inevitable trajectory to exiting?
4: No, I don't think so. Uh, it's a big question what kind of Brexit might happen. In my latest book, I talk about Brexit in the plural, not the singular. They're, I've just been in Switzerland with Swiss MPs. They're not in the EU, but they've got freedom of movement and a lot of other arrangements that allow their economy to be pretty much integrated with the rest of Europe. You can go to Norway where they're not in the EU, but otherwise they might as well be in the EU because that's just how they operate. What kind of Brexit will we finally emerge with? I myself, as an old foreign policy and international hand, uh, because I worked internationally before I became an MP, I think the loss of foreign policy influence for Britain is enormous But people aren't talking about it. What worries me is I've got a lot of friends, retired dips, big cheeses, and there's a sort of fatalism at the moment. Mm. Uh, People aren't prepared to resist it. But if I look at the Conservative Party, it's been around for 300 years. It makes mistakes. But on the whole, it's the party of business. Brexit is like signing in for the economic equivalent of a Dignitas clinic in Switzerland. Yeah, It's an economic one-way suicide trip. I just don't believe, as it becomes clearer, what the impact will be. And that's not clear at the moment, that there won't be a rethink in the Tory party.
1: What, putting the Tories to one side, though, I mean, the, the people really at the sharp end of this are those business leaders you've talked about. Now, where, so where are all their voices? Because we know, as you know... There are some serious concerns around the way we're going, but I don't feel that reflected at boardroom level uh, publicly. Business doesn't do politics. It will
4: complain, but it won't campaign. The individual firms pass the buck up to their federations, the CBI, the British Chambers of Commerce, the Road haulage Federation, the Chemical Industries Federation... Mm who basically are like civil servants of of businesses. They go and see fellow civil servants in the government and have a moan, but they don't know how to campaign. One thing I am asking businesses to do is to do constituency-level audits of the impact of Brexit. So drill it right down to the level of Bath or Barnstable or Barnsley or Bootle and produce many, not even a new European, something like a little catalogue with some... Pictures and stories of the universities the the small agricultural firms, the old age care homes, uh, any fDI foreign direct investment foreign firms, tr- travel agents who want to sell retirement homes in Spain, and ask them what it 's going to mean if we have any kind of a serious yeah. brexit yeah. Uh, and just see a public opinion which hasn 't really moved much I mean when people vote, they boot out a the government they bring in a new one. Uh, they vote for brexit it's like divorce or moving house you may after a bit think oh god i've made a bit of a mistake but you can't go back yeah uh, so and we just don't have any strong leadership what's amazed me about this is that brexit has not thrown up any new strong voices and forces in the political and opinion forming world uh but i think that will come and finally Don't forget Brexit hasn't happened. A vote happened. We keep saying Brexit. We don't have the faintest idea yet of what it's really going to be like. Uh, But before long, I think more politicians will start sketching out some pretty negative scenarios and then opinion will change.
1: Well, one politician who's been conspicuously reluctant to sketch out specific scenarios is the leader of your Labour Party. Jeremy Corbyn has maintained this fog of ambiguity around what his position or Maybe that's unfair, but certainly how I think it's perceived broadly is that no one's quite sure what, what Labour stand for. Despite Keir Starmer's efforts to try and nail a coherent position, no one's really any the wiser. What, what should Jeremy Corbyn be saying about Brexit? Or is he saying the right thing for the Labour Party about Brexit?
4: What I think Jeremy should be saying, let's be very clear, I've known him you know, much of my political life. I've never had a crossword. I think he's a very courteous man. But unlike me, he's not interested in Europe. His internationalism, which is genuine, is about Cuba and Venezuela and Palestine and Polisario and Chagos Islands. and It's all sincere stuff. There's a great deal of idealism rather more than ideologicalism in, in Jeremy's makeup. But he sees Europe, I think, although he speaks good Spanish, he's never really worked there, studied there. And he sees it in a rather old-fashioned national sovereignty kind of way, a Tony Benn vision uh, of uh, a market that somehow tells people what to do. In fact, British workers uh, have got far more protection under EU social rules than ever they'll get from any Tory government, or even than they had from a Labour government previously. So... What I think you should be doing is getting back to what Labour should be doing, which is the real material conditions of existence in in our society. The prospect for jobs, for income, for work, for rights, for paid holidays, the chance to retire. And keep hammering that. You don't have to repudiate. It would be wrong to repudiate the, the referendum. I think the referendum was very flawed, 37%, we know all those arguments, but... Quite hard for an elected politician to say the voters were wrong. And that's also borderline arrogant. So you respect that, but you say, here are the costs and consequences. And how do we move forward in a way that lessens any serious threat to British jobs and work? So we we can leave the EU treaty but not leave a single market, leave the EU treaty, maintain the customs union, vital for Ireland. And Jeremy's got a huge sincere connection to Ireland and the cause of Irish um, uh, peace and and working together. So I'm rather surprised that he hasn't found stronger language uh, and uh, hasn't found, perhaps if not he himself, someone who could do the business on the Today programme uh, and, uh, Newsnight and so forth, uh, and let them speak strongly on behalf of Labour. You see what the reaction is. I mean, Keir Star was a brilliant QC, he was a human rights lawyer, I mean, he's very fashionable, he, he wasn't really did it, had any elective positions before. So, you want the good words, Keir will produce them, but political leadership, we need a Tony Blair, a John or Robin Cook, or a John Prescott. I mean, and that so far we haven't got on Brexit. Yeah, I mean.
1: Jeremy turned up at my doorstep, which I've I've written about in the past, and I asked him why wasn't he taking a clearer position, and we argued to toss a little bit about Europe, and eventually he shrugged his shoulders and he said, "How do I explain to the two thirds of my MPs whose constituents voted to leave that we're taking an anti-leave?" And I think that's, I think
4: Matt, you shouldn't underestimate that. Uh, It's a genuine dilemma. Uh, for uh, Jeremy, for any, any Labour leader. A lot of my very you know, best friends who are Labour MPs uh, and are pro-European, strongly pro-European as you or me, also make that point. But let's also be quite clear, all the academic studies show that in the constituencies where there was a majority for Leave, 70% of the Labour voters voted Remain. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're an MP trying to be re-elected, you can't run after every Conservative and BNP and UKIP or Liberal Democrat vote. You have to bring your own people together. And I think uh, this ambiguity is a necessary political art, but you can't live permanently in the middle of the road. As Jim Hyatt Tower, a great Texas Democrat, once said a left guy said there are only two things in the middle of the road double yellow lines and dead hedgehogs (laughs) so i would just say there comes a time for ambiguity but also comes a time to at least a few people on the labor side able to be very clear that leaving the single market is a disaster. Leaving the customs union is a disaster. We can reform the internal labour, the management of the internal labour market in the UK to slow down the volume and velocity of guys coming and women coming in from from Europe. Yeah, was was over high. I fully accept that. That's our fault. Other countries don't have that problem because they register people, they train people. I mean, in Switzerland, seventy percent of all vocational training is paid for by the employers employers haven't paid a real penny to vocational training, craft training, trades training in this country since Mrs Thatcher's day. So that, what I would have thought, could cleave to labour values, labour ideas, better jobs, train more nurses, more doctors, more plumbers, let's organise to stop employment agencies unfairly exploiting any workers, especially those coming in from East Europe. But I'm afraid this government, and if I'm honest, Previous governments were just a bit too friendly to the bosses
1: and not yeah. friendly enough to the workers. It, I take all of that. The, the thing that still sticks in my head is, and it, this actually falls in line a little bit with what Tony Blair was saying recently about make this a Tory Brexit, make them own the problem. Why does he keep ignoring it at PMQs? You know, why does he shy about hammering them on the chaos and the confusion on their side?
4: I don't think either Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn are uh, actual, you know, stars. They're not Harry Kane's on, on uh, uh, PMQs. It's not an natural. I'd love fort- to see Harry Kane do forte. PMQs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think also, I'm only advised this, I don't, you know, I, mean, I know all the guys around Jeremy, but not intimate in, in any sense, that for them, PMQs is one good soundbite for social media we, we all will think yeah, yeah. Uh, or professionally politically engaged people god who won who lost the discussion on the on the world that won afterwards or what, what the sketch writers that's for zilch it's like for example i keep begging people to get out of london yeah. people pant to get an op-ed in the guardian or the times or the ft and I, you know, I like it myself if i get that platform but it matters ten times nothing in, in Rotherham and in Rochester and uh, and there, that's the area where we when I say we, those who want to take on Brexit and defeat it we've got to get out of London and I'm going to spend my time writing a new book and really it's going to be an open letter to the 52% I think we've got to get past the period where we're just bashing the campaign of lies the dishonesty, the Daily Mail, the Daily Telegraph they're all there from my experience spending time with Tory MPs and journalists who are pro-European, they're very rattled, they're very yeah. uncertain, they really know this isn't going well. Okay. They can't give up the faith. I mean, these are guys who signed the oath, the pledge, they walked to the other side of the street in the 1980s, 1990s, since 2000, that Europe is evil and bad and we're a corpse and we have to cut ourselves free from it. But they know that that's no longer true yeah. and they know that people don't believe them either. And I would argue... That the first party that offers a new consultation, not a second referendum, the first referendum arguably was 75, then there was the 1983 election in which Labour pledged to pull us out of the uh, European community, Uh, and then the third consultation was 23rd of June 2016. Well, a n- new consultation once it's a bit clearer where we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would think that the first party that offers that in their future manifesto for the election, whenever it happens, is going to do quite well because the people I think like to be asked their opinion. I mean, I'm a parliamentarian. I wish David Cameron hadn't called the referendum. But now that genie's out of the bottle. We can't yeah. recork it. And uh, I would—I'm rather surprised at the adamantine way Jeremy is saying that the people of Britain don't have the right to be consulted again yeah. on this.
1: Okay, interesting. Uh, so a second consultation or another another consultation? Another rather consultation. Rather I mean, I—I
4: I, uh, got to be careful. I was with Swiss friends and other friends, and there's plenty of evidence. This in Norway. Quite often, if you lose a vote on Europe and you say, Oh well, you know, they were misled, they got it wrong, let's have another one and the vote's even worse the yeah. second time I'm around. low turnout and lack low turnout just, yeah. just destroys the validity Because yeah. uh, okay. the turnout was big. It was yeah. only thirty it was only thirty seven percent of the total pop electorate who voted for it. and lot people, eighteen to twenty four year olds, people living in Europe yeah. didn't get the chance vote. We know all those arguments. Uh, but you can't just say to 17.4 million people, 17.2 million people, whatever it is, whatever it is you are deceived, you are wrong. Uh, no, you, 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 the voters are always right, yeah. even if the result is wrong.
1: Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And so that's all the UK bubble, and as fascinating as it is, but of course there's 27 other countries out there who have a view on what's going on. You spend Not a lot really. of your time out there. What, what's the... What's the feeling in, in Paris and Berlin and, and, and Vienna about what's happening in Geneva and Zurich? They regret Brexit enormously. They like
4: Britain. They re- see Britain as an incredibly important partner, a world, uh, not power, but a force in the world, UN Security Council, the Commonwealth, an immense... Really strong history of international engagement, setting up lots and lots of international organisations. I think when I was at the Foreign Office, I got someone to check, we as a nation have signed more international treaties than any other, and the EU is just another international treaty. So there's a huge regret. Uh, but their view is, we are living in what the Germans call a Rechtsgemeinde, that means a community of laws, based on law. The Brits have left, we regret that we cannot rewrite our laws just because in britain uh the conservative party decided to adopt ukip lines the daily mail daily telegraph the offshore owned tabloids the daily telegraph owned by guys who don't pay any tax here just have been campaigning for 20 years against europe fine so off you go uh when you're fully outside we'll start talking to you politely as we would to canada or mexico or south korea about a re- relationship uh, if you start discriminating against our people um, then i'm sorry there'll be reciprocal action and you know that's a lot this is up to 1.5 million brits who've either retired or live permanently or semi-permanently in other european countries i'm very worried for their future uh and uh they have decided to leave it in the hands of Michel Barnier I and mean, he's emerged as the big, big winner so far of the whole Brexit process because we had all that bluster at the beginning that uh, Europe could go whistle for money, that the ECJ would never have any role in here and there wasn't a problem uh, in, in Northern Ireland, but now the government has agreed we're going to pay at least 40 billion, we're going to allow the ECJ to have a role protecting European Union citizens in the UK. Uh, and. Uh, There's ambiguous language, but the implication is that the the island of Ireland will remain broadly in the customs union and single market. So So you think
1: there is a solution to the Irish problem which looks insoluble at the moment, but do you think there is a way that they could get a deal where we do leave and Ireland is still sorted out?
4: Yes, uh, but it will require Mrs May to face down uh, the the ultra-hardline Protestant... uh, uh, unionists uh, but then as Ian Paisley used to love coming during the peace process as famously said he'd come in to see everybody at Downing Street and he'd say I may be an Ulsterman, I may be Northern Irish but my cows are Irish and all the milk from Northern Irish cows goes south and comes back <laughs> in Bailey's Irish cream and all sorts of drink uh, all the mince beef we buy in Asda or Tesco tends to come from ireland i mean the irish have created in the last 30 40 years one of the world's f- most fabulous food processing agricultural product industries uh even all the peking duck that's sold around the world a lot of it comes from ireland uh, <laughs> so uh, i think you know the Ulster uh, unionist Uh, many of them are farmers. Yup, they don't want to be cut off from the UK. They're proud of being British, and that's fully respected by Tony Blair and by everybody else. But the Good Friday Peace Agreement has got 140 sub-agreements that interconnect the six counties of Northern Ireland, of Ulster, with the rest of Ireland, and are all located in the context of EU law. Electricity deals, a single market in food... Uh, tr- single transport market even if you think about it an all ireland rugby team yeah. so you know, if it's good enough for there to be one island when it comes to playing rugby then I think we can find uh, passion and the Conservative Party does not want to go down in history You know, John Major and others worked hard Mrs Thatcher worked hard uh, to, on the Sunningdale agreement and other agreements to try and find a solution it culminated with Blair and the Good Friday Agreement. And if you think of the Irish question, it was Disraeli who in 1844 said in the House of Commons, this is the Irish question of people who don't like us a different faith, absentee landlords. It took from 1844 to 1920, the Irish War of Independence, to at least get Ireland separated from English rule. And it took from 1922 to 1998 before... There at least was an end to any appeal to violence. But if we have to bring back custom border control checks and we start treating Dublin in a very patronising way, you, you had an Ulster Unionist peer, uh, John Taylor was his name as an he's got some funny name now, and referred to the Prime Minister in, of Ireland, in India, as the Indian in Dublin. Yeah, amazing. I mean, Mr. Vradka, gay Indian, yeah, I mean, amazing. Uh, unusual, but that, that's modern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I think the Irish question is huge still and that will impact on America Uh, and I think as these problems get closer to crunch time I would hope that the Conservative Party are not going to just be the voice of the Daily Telegraph, the Daily Mail and above all of Nigel Farage and so bit by bit uh, we uh, don't have the worst Brexit of our nightmares even if I'm not quite sure between now and March 29th uh, whether we can absolutely stop it and reverse it.
1: Great. Dennis McShane, thank you very much. Uh, and um, please keep writing for us. We uh, value your insight into Europe and um, hopefully this thing can, can be stopped. At well, soon.
4: much was stopped, attenuated, kept going. Uh, I, um, I don't think the British people when actually they see what Brexit means, when the costs and consequences... We're now having the debate we should have had before the 23rd of June. Absolutely. Uh, and um, uh, I'm very, very confident, uh, particularly if Europe keeps growing strong economically, which it certainly is today, we're the sick man of Europe economically, that uh, opinions will change and through elections, maybe a, a new consultation, uh, we'll be able to see this is just... A giant blind alley we wandered up for twenty years. And then we'll come back to sanity.
1: Thank you for coming all the way to Norwich to cheer us up in such such marvellous grand fashion. Dennis McShane, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you.
3: Brexiteer of the week.
2: Welcome back. It's time for Brexiteer of the week. Steve Anglesey, run us through.
3: Well, do you know what I'm in a I'm in a quandary because the Brexiteer of the week in the print edition of the the New European is is Joe Marnie, the the new girlfriend of Henry Bolton, the UKIP leader. But of course, we talked about Joe Marnie and Henry Bolton on last week's podcast. We did. Although th- there are a couple of things about Joe Marnie that we didn't discuss last week, which have been uh, which had been discovered through uh, poring over her social media accounts. Uh, she referred to nurses as just posh cleaners. Uh, and she's also said Grenfell Tower was a nest of illegal immigrants of all varieties. Meanwhile, British families wait on the council housing list for years. So she she seems nice. Um, so I can't really name her Brexiteer of the Week since we discussed her last week. So who were the other contenders? Well, I was going to fall back to the old favourite, the nicotine-stained man from yeah. Nigel Farage, yeah. who said this week, we're heading in a difficult direction. He was talking about the Virgin banning the Daily Mail yes. from its trains. Banning things because you don't like them solves nothing. And that's Nigel Farage, who, of course, in 2010 said that the Burqa should be banned. In 2014 <laughs> said that HIV-positive migrants should be banned. And in 2016 said that Muslim visitors from seven different countries should be banned in a, in a Donald Trump style.
2: But he's one of us now.
3: But he's, he's a snowflake Ramona now, so yeah. I can't make it him. And then there's Andrea Jenkins and Jack Lepresti. Who are the Tory MPs? They got married in the Palace of Westminster, didn't they, just before Christmas? Yeah, sweet. And it, is it was sweet. a lovely day. And it was um, yeah. And they they've said that they nicknamed their nine month old son Brexit Clifford because he was born on the day that Article Fifty was triggered in Parliament. But I can't really make a baby the Brexit of <laughs> in the week. No. And and also he, he will know be known just as Clifford, and that is probably because they went calling him Brex Clifford, is that really does that remind <laughs> us of anyone? It's, mm, I don't know, so so he's not the, 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 the Brexiteer of the week, and then I thought about Neil Hamilton who is having such success as Welsh uh, UKIP leader um, I once um, um, I once uh... Spent an evening with Christine
2: and Neil Hamilton. <laughs> did you? I did. Oh, my goodness. I didn't snog Christine, but we
3: did have a little kiss. You had a little kiss. Mm-hmm. They, these are incredible revelations. I'll tell you
2: about it off air.
3: Off air. OK, so let's go through Neil's successes. He On December the 29th, he's he, been trying to get this guy Nathan Gill to resign. And Nathan Gill is an MEP and was in the Welsh Assembly. And he was the former <laughs> leader that Neil Hamilton replaced. Neil Hamilton doesn't like him been fighting a campaign to get rid of him he resigned, Nathan Gill victory for Neil Hamilton, they brought in Mandy Jones, December the 29th Neil welcomed her with open arms 10 days later Mandy Jones told Neil that she was going to keep on some of Nathan Gill's staff oh. and now he's he's kicked her out um, of the UKIP group um, and Michelle Brown our favourite, Michelle Brown um, is, uh, is also facing expulsion from the UKIP group she was the woman who uh, was recorded calling uh, Chukka and Moon a f-ing coconut last <laughs> year, so it could be it could be Neil Hamilton. But I feel a bit sorry for Neil Hamilton because all his friends are, are leaving him, and he's had to watch his wife being snogged by you. So, <laughs> so it cannot be Neil Hamilton. And who does that leave us with? Ah, oh, the old reliable Roger Helmer. Ah, um, he is the former UKIP MEP. Uh, you may know him from the fantastic picture of him asleep, hard at work, asleep in the in the European Parliament, or just probably just resting his eyes while thinking of of, of great things. Um, and Roger Helmer, now he's he's had to leave the UK, the uh, he's had to leave the European Parliament. Roger, um, that was just entirely his own decision for personal reasons, and nothing to do with the fact that there was an EU probe into his parliamentary expenses, by the way. Um, So he's got a bit of time on his hands. And what's his new campaign? He has launched a campaign with a big petition to bring back... Now we've got our passports back. Bring back the crown emblem on pine glasses. Yes. The Daleks always saying this. That's what we need. Yeah, Taking back control. However, 2015 measuring instruments brackets capacity serving measures regulations... They state that stylized crown markings on beer glasses are permitted on a voluntary basis. We've won already. We're taking back control of something that we've already got control of. So Roger Helmer is the Brexiteer of the Week.
2: Congratulations, Roger. Should we tell this now to follow us all on Twitter,
3: Steve? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Sanglesey, S A N G L E S E Y, and you can follow the New European at the New European. And you can follow me at Porritz, P-O-R-R-I-T-T.
2: That was the New European Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us. Please, please, please leave us some reviews. We love to see them and it also makes a massive difference. To this pod going forward. Go and buy the paper. It's a cracking edition this week. It's got Donald Trump on the front, but it's not just politics and Brexit. There's lots of art. There's lots of culture. It's on the newsstands now. We'll be back next week, but until then, Mr. Campbell, take it away. I had a student radio show and we heard, this yeah. is absolutely true yeah, yeah. we found out that Neil and Christine were doing a, an appearance in a local nightclub in Huddersfield Yeah. so we managed to get in touch with them and we asked them if they'd come on the radio show and they did. Well, they did, they were great sports later on in the evening they asked for directions back to their hotel Yeah. and in the end we said well we'll just take you so we t- took them back to their hotel Yeah.
3: A little mwah, mwah.
2: Yeah. didn't go back to their room
1: Subtle results, still you